Hey everybody, welcome to the Patty G Show. I'm your host, Patty G. We are back in studio this week. More excited than ever to sit down with Marisha and learn all about the construction industry and the 400 boards that she's on. I am just intrigued about time management, project management, and just all things that she does within her realm and experience within the business world. But before we get to all of that, I want to give a big, wonderful shout out and thank you to the amazing folks that bring you this show each and every week, starting with Building 5, Currency Bank, the bank for business owners, Alaya Real Estate, Lakeman's Health Center, Horizon Financial Group, Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge, and today we're suited up, and that is brought to you by McClavey Limited. Without further ado, Marisha, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to learn about everything that you do, and from a a brief little deep dive, you do a lot, <laughs> a whole lot, like more than just running your own business. You are all out in the community doing anything and everything, running different nonprofits, helping here, helping there, your own currencies board. Like, I am. But for, for those that may not be aware of all of that, who are you and what the heck do you do? Okay. Well, so my name is Narisha Kirk Glover. I am the owner of NRK Construction. We are a commercial construction company that specializes in renovations, um, tenant build-outs, new construction, and multifamily housing. We started the company in 2015. Um, very interesting journey of how I got there. Um, so I am from a small town in Tioga, went to LSU, graduated in communications, and then did fundraising, education fundraising for 13 years. Um, what, is, what is, sorry, what, what is education fundraising? Walk us through that. Well, okay, so when I first started fundraising, it was actually in Washington, D.C., and I worked for a charter school there. Okay. So um, charter schools, while they receive money from the public school system, um, they are also a nonprofit. So you'll get whatever money that you need. To, well, you'll get the money to cover the academic stuff, but everything else is extra. And so you raise the funds to do that. So we would run the annual funds, you know, the mailings that you would get or phone calls that you would get that would ask you to donate money to the school which might cover a field trip or supplies or equipment that a school would need for students. So I fundraised for this charter school. It was a boarding school in Washington, D.C., before then moving to California to work for another education reform organization called Education Pioneers. I, I use Teach for America to kind of explain education um, pioneers. So Teach for America focuses on the teachers in the classroom. Education Pioneers says, look, in education, you also need people in marketing, finance, operations, et cetera, who is making the massive effort to recruit that talent and let people know that there's a career choice for them. So we ran a fellowship program through that. And so I was on the team that managed the development officers who fundraised for the respective cities and then moved back to Baton Rouge to then fundraise for LSU, specifically for the College of Business. And so I worked for the LSU Foundation. And all of that is different ways to do education <laughs> fundraising. My gosh. Okay. So you coming from a small town around the Lafayette Pineville area, going to LSU. And I mean, what to you graduating, what made you want to go into fundraising. education fundraising? So it's not um, that I necessarily want to go into education fundraising. So I'm going to tell you a story that is like, this is my personality. So anyone okay. you meet will be like, yes, Nari should like ask questions all the time, right? <laughs> so guest speaker comes to the classroom okay. and the guest speaker would always say, does anybody have any questions? And I would say, yes. Do you have an internship? And one day, one of the guest speakers said, yes, talk to me after class. 
And I actually ended up with an internship at the LSU Foundation. And that was my introduction to fundraising. That is, hold on, that is brilliant. I've, because I, so I went to LSU and I recently just spoke at LSU to a, a business fraternity and nobody, well, somebody did approach me after the class, but okay. So somebody actually asked you, or you actually asked them, every every guest lecture that came in, I was saying, hey, you- is there an internship? Yeah. That's and then finally powerful. someone said, yes, I had, I would like, I'm a nerd. I'd have like my resume in my backpack. And I'm like, great. I'm going to like pass it. This is when we're doing paper this resumes. Is awesome. days, right? Okay. So get the internship. Um, and th- like, I didn't know fundraising existed. Like I had no clue of about any of this. So I work for the foundation until, um, for under, through undergrad, for my undergraduate years and also through graduate school. And then I get a job in DC to actually first work for a company called BlackBot, which makes nonprofit fundraising um, software. So I would train okay. people on how to use it. Okay. And then I went to work for the charter school in, um, in DC, actually saying like, I know how to use the software. Like, and so like, was that your selling point to them? It, it was because this is software it was a, it, use. I can, I talk people an, how to use Yes. This. And it was an entry level position like data entry or whatever, but I knew how to use that database. I knew how to clean it because when you worked for the software company, they would like they would give you this intense training. But then what they told you is that whenever you would go to train other clients, if they would ask questions and you didn't know the answer, you just needed to say, I don't know the answer and I would get, and I will get back to you. And then that night you were to go back to your hotel and you were to figure out the answer. So I became pretty savvy in figuring out and understanding how databases work. So then when I went to work for that um it's called the seed school. Um, when I went to work for them, like I could run the reports, I could do all of that. We beefed up their annual fund and other stuff. And then that's, that was my continuation of fundraising, um, in education. And so I did education fundraising for 13 years and I really liked it. And part of why I did education fundraising is I'm a first generation, um, college graduate on both sides of my family. And so education is just something that's really important to me yeah and so I spent a lot of time like in that space the fundraising was cool but after a while it became kind of rinse and repeat for me and I wanted to do something different so I think we missed a transition from coast to coast there how'd you get it from DC to California um so um we'll just call it a different season of life that brought me to California (laughs) (laughs) understood yes understood a different season of life that brought me there um and so then I decided okay I'm coming back home okay um and so I came back home and um and I still had my connections at the LSU foundation and during the recession was able to get a job working for the college of business so first as an intern leave go away come back fundraise for the college of business okay and so when I not a bad circle of life there so when I'm fundraising for the College of Business, my territory is like Lafayette, like Charles, Houston. I also do like the East Coast, D.C., New York. Like it was like I'm in my late 20s, early 30s. I'm like, this is fantastic. I'm traveling. I'm getting to attend football games. Like this is really amazing. Um, and, you know, the thing about fundraising is that, you know, you'll like get a $25,000 gift. And they'll be like, that's really great. Now you need to get a $50,000 gift. I know it's like you hit a threshold and they accept. Now you need to get a hundred thousand. Now you every need every single time. Yes, and it was just kind of rinse and repeat. Absolutely need it, but I found myself also like creating projects at work because like I needed to be challenged more, and so I started putting out in the universe to my friends. I was like, "Look, I need to do something different. I want to manage projects. I want to manage people. And I want to manage budgets. That is what I feel like that I am good at, okay. and I don't 
I'm not looking for a particular title or particular type of organization, but like, this is what I want to do. And I was telling this to one of my friends who I'd gone to school with. And he says, well, have you ever thought about construction? And I was, I was about to say, like, everything you just described that you wanted to do, to me, it was like trying to figure out this connection between fundraising for education and then also construction. And you just, I mean, it makes complete sense. But at the time, was there any entrepreneurial thoughts about it? Or were you just like, hmm, construction? Uh, no. It, so it, it was actually neither one of those. <laughs> <laughs> So what I was doing, like I was exploring that. So I was like, I think I'm, I think I was ready to leave LSU. So I was like looking at like, am I going to do fundraising consulting? Am I just going to do like consulting work? Like, what am I going to do next? And construction was presented like as an idea. Okay. So then I like started to research on like what the industry looked like, what the trends looked like, where did they think the industry was going? And then my best friend and I, we have this goal of like visiting all 50 states and we were road tripping it. And we had this state called or this trip called eight states in eight days that we were taking. And Holy we did smokes. Colorado, Wyoming, um, Montana, Idaho, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, right? So you're like, oh you're in gosh. God, you're like in God's country, right? <clears throat> yeah. And you're like, speak to me, Lord, about like what it is that I need to do next. Okay. So that combined with I was le- doing leadership Baton Rouge. Um, and I On the road trip? No, 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 no. Like okay, I just okay, around that time, okay. I like um, I was doing leadership. Really impressive. <laughs> oh, yeah, <no. laughs> um, I was doing leadership Baton Rouge. I remember sitting next to one of my classmates, and I was like, "Hey, do you know of like people who help people set up businesses?" And she's like, "Yes, I do that." And I was like, oh, "Okay, well, do you know if there are like people who do that specifically for construction companies?" And she says, "That's what I do." So like this whole time, like where I'm like looking for signs and answers about what it is that I'm supposed to do next. I feel like I get like the space to like think about it. I have like moments where it's like confirmed for me. And I'm like, okay. My friend says, if you decide to do construction, I will teach you everything that you need to know. So I decide that I'm going to start a construction company. Um, my friend had a construction company in New Iberia. So I commuted to New Iberia for a year to learn underneath him. I um, studied for my contractor's licensing um, exam. And when I say study, like, and let me take a step back. I leave LSU, but I'm working for a consulting firm Okay. at the same time because this consulting firm knows, like, I'm just going to do some short-term work for them until I, like, get my company off the and ground, can, right? Consulting in what um, field specifically? So um, the consulting firm's Emergent Method. Just had Nick on a couple weeks ago. Nick and I went to college together. So I, so I said to Nick, I was like, Nick, I'm thinking about starting a construction company. You want to help me with my business plan? He's like, why don't you come work for me? I'm like, because I just told you I'm trying to start a construction <laughs> I'm company. I'm trying to be an entrepreneur, guys. And he's like, yeah, come no, on. I think you should come work for me. But, so instead, I, I worked for Nick for a little while. while I'm trying to get the construction company um, off the ground. And I'm learning under a friend who's like, give me a project. And he's like, look, I'm going to teach you like how we do this. And I do this for like a year. Um, and... The project is starting to like wrap up and that project was like in Lake Charles and it was, the project was fine, but the fundraiser in me wanted more personal interactions and I was, and I kept thinking to myself, maybe residential construction is really what I want to do. Okay. So I'm going to focus my energy um, in the beginning of 2016 
on finding people in Baton Rouge and where do I want to focus my energy? And someone says, don't tell everybody that you just do everything, right? Like be really specific because no one says, who's that company that does everything? You have to have like something specific, particularly for starting out in the space. So I said, I'm a construction company that focuses on painting, sheetrock, flooring. That's what I do. And I worked on building team. I worked on finding subcontractors where I could get get deals on materials. And in August, 2016, it floods. That is a prime time to do all three of and your different areas. Absolutely. That's what everybody needs. I have never advertised. <laughs> you did well during the flood. You didn't. You just you knock on the door. Advertise. Hey, you need sheetrock flooring. No. And so, so I, I had a friend of mine, Lauren. She put my business card mm-hmm. on Facebook. She's like, if anybody needs anyone, and I got tons of calls. I did tons of estimates. I will tell you, a lot of my clients at the very beginning were women. Um, and not necessarily single women, but like women who were like likely the decision makers for their household. And I will tell you that a My number wife. of them said, you know why I chose you? And I said, why? And they're like, because the men would come in here and go, looks like it's going to cost about $80,000. And, and then I would come in and like, I told you I'm a nerd always, right? right? right, right. So I'm like, notepad, tell me what you want. What does this look like? Et cetera. And so they felt like I was listening to what it is that they really wanted. And they had no idea that I'd only been in this for like a year. <laughs> Walk into that first client. Uh-huh. Yes. Oh, of course we can do this. Yep. What do you need? Yeah. What do you want? Look, it's you weren't you were faking it till you making it, I, right? I, I absolutely I was faking it till I make it. It was chop off. I'm not joking. And like, God, I hope this doesn't like bite me later on. I'd be like, this is what studs look like. Like, <laughs> like drywall and sheetrock. That's the same. But like I love that though, because you were on a normal job site, you would be a, a, a hand. You'd be a tool hand. And you would literally just go back and forth from the truck to grab a hammer and a left-handed screwdriver. <laughs> for sure. For sure, they would have been like, Henry, so go give me a left-handed screwdriver, please. <laughs> but with you being the, the, the owner and the contractor, I mean, if you're starting from going and doing fundraising to then going into an entirely different industry, I mean, you knew enough to pass the contracting exam, but... They didn't have a whole bunch of pictures, I'm sure, about here's a stud, here's, you know, no, I watched all this a other lot stuff. of YouTube videos. I walked a lot through Home Depot and Lowe's. I'm telling you, like, I wanted to make sure that I understood this. Right. And then because I'm a person of my word, once these contracts were signed, like, I was going to deliver on it. And I was a little arrogant at the beginning, not like to my clients, but I remember thinking to myself, like, I had, like, done all these estimates. People had said they were going to move forward with them. I lined up like a start date for it to take place. And I remember one week I was getting ready to start five homes. In one week? I didn't know what I didn't know. (laughs) Five homes in a week? I started five homes in one week. And I'm assuming you had a project manager for each of the homes? I was my only employee. Okay. Okay. All right. I was my only employee. I I contracted someone to be a superintendent on a project. That did not last very long. Um... Mainly because he was one of those who like every day is like, okay, so how much money am I getting? How much money? And I'm like, I feel like you're just here for the money and not really do the work. But so I remember thinking to myself like calendar all like laid out. I have all these people scheduled, contracts, whatever, assigned. It's like Monday. I wake up. Everybody's going to show up. I get a call from my first client who was like really enthusiastic about all the notes like that I'd taken. And she's like, hey. Um, the garbage man, he just dropped off the dumpster. Um, but when he dropped it off, like he dropped it off like a pipe and he busted the water line and it's flooding the streets. I was like, well, that wasn't in the textbooks. 
<laughs> that wasn't on the contracting <laughs> exam. What do you do when a subcontractor drops a dumpster on a water main? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. Well, so I'm assuming you had a, like a plumbing contractor, a plumbing sub at that point, though. Yeah, but that, I mean, but so, so it didn't matter if I had a plumbing it's sub. A change order. There was a whole, no, there were all <laughs> sorts of disputes about like, this is the city, the city handles this. Well, like, oh my God. And it, in the end, it all, like, I don't know how it got fixed. And I, and someone's in the city, like, fixed it or whatever. Cause it was craziness during that time, like with the yeah. flood or whatever. Um, and I remember talking to another contractor who'd like been in the space for a while and he's like, Oh, I don't take on more than four projects at a time. Someone who'd been doing it for years. Yeah. He's like, Oh, I don't take on more than four projects at a time. And I was like, Oh, okay. But you know what? All of my clients were the first ones to get in their homes in their neighborhood. Well, there Every you go. single one of them. And I remember like, that's way more important. Yes. I, it was, and I learned a lot of lessons there. You know, there are lots of people who are going to say yes, but not really come and do the work. I had one guy, like, I could never get him to show up on time. And at some point he goes, I didn't even want to be on this project anyways. You know, I had people who had lots of excuses about why they weren't showing up. And I um, am a person that I give people chances after chance, after chance, after chance, after chance. And then when I'm done, I'm done. And I gave a lot of chances. And, you know, I just I just had to learn. You know, I don't use subcontractors or jack of all trades because they are a master of none. Um, I don't. I, I think that's the exact phrase. Yes. <laughs> jack of all, master of none. <laughs> I'm like, um, you're not going to call me on Friday at four o'clock and say the work is done and ready to get paid and just meet me to pay you. And I have not inspected the work. And I'm especially not going to inspect it in the fall after daylight savings has happened and realize that it's dark and I really can't see anything. So I pay you and then realize it's crap and you're not coming back to fix it. Um, right there with you. I, you know, had to learn, like, I remember talking to this painter who multiple times I'm like, okay, this is your square foot quote. He's like, yes. And I'm like, great. And we, I repeat him. I was like, you're this, you're this dollars a square foot. He's like, yes. I sent him, I sent him the contract. He's like, I think there's a mistake. I'm like, what? I like discusses multiple times. He's like, I think you did like floor square footage and not wall square footage. And that's significantly different. One, two, three, four walls. Mm -hmm. So it was off like by three times oh, the wow. number. Oh, wow. Oh, so you did one wall size. No I, no, I literally budgeted like for the square footage of the floor. But when you're oh. going with square foot, like of the number of walls, like that is a significantly different price. Right. Because then you may have six foot wall. I mean, eight foot walls. You may have 10 foot walls. You may have 12 foot walls. And instead of one floor, you've got four. And so oh. I was like super off on my numbers. Oh. And I like. I'm sure that I'm sure that the, the homeowner was like, oh, absolutely. Here's the thing. I never told the homeowners. <clears throat> like I like okay. I negotiated with him. He had multiple homes like for me. He understood that, like, I was someone who was, like, trying to learn. Yeah. I looked for other areas, like, in my budget to, like, cut. I hate change orders. Like, I minimized, like, as much as I could. And I was actually very profitable. That's that good. Year, and, and thus had to change the structure of my business. Um, <laughs> um, and so I did well. There were just a lot of lessons that, like, I had to learn. And I'm grateful for those lessons because cause also during that time, like, I would have someone hanging sheetrock. And I was like, okay. I'm going to watch you hang, like, explain to me why you do this so that I could understand. So that when I hired other subcontractors, I knew what it was that I, that what I was looking for. And I began to understand the terminology and be able to tell, like, this person knows what they're doing. This person does not know what they're doing. And I will tell you one of the, one of the 
recurring themes in my life is that I have always had people who saw the potential in me. And so they were willing to teach me. That is huge. Yeah. Especially in the construction industry where mm-hmm. you have people that as a homeowner, there, there's a, especially with social media now, there's so much quick to blast situations mm-hmm. where a contractor will come in, they'll have a sub, they'll do a poor job, and everybody's going to post about it. And it's just going to be crazy. Right. So people immediately have less faith right. in, the constru- in the residential construction industry. Mm-hmm. And so especially when it's a subject that is not really common knowledge. Right. Like, especially when you get down to the details. Mm-hmm. You know, I can say, I need you to run a light from here to here, and I and I can understand, okay, we're going to pull wire and we're going to put fixtures. Great. But I don't know what gauge wire it's going to be. I don't know if you have to drill through some studs. I don't know if you have I don't know if you have a fire like, like a fire parameter you've got a, a mm-hmm. bit like bust through whatever the terms are. Like there's so much unknown that you may not have. And again, as a homeowner, you also don't have the knowledge of what everything's going to cost. Right. So if you come in and you tell me, hey, Patrick, it's going to cost us $20,000 through this project. I don't know if that's low or high. And so immediately the homeowner's response is, okay, we're going to get a second quote. Right. We're going to get a third quote. We're going to make sure that your pricing makes sense. But if you're able to do like what you were describing, where you walk through and you go through all the details. And I provided all of my clients a mm-hmm. line item budget. That's what I'm saying. And Oh, I love them. Mm-hmm. As a CPA, line item budgets, those are my favorite. Mm-hmm. And so when you're able to see it all and explain it all to them, like so much so that on the line item budget, it then goes contractors profit yeah. 20 or 30%, whatever they charged. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Like I'm able to see boom, 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 boom. Everything makes sense. Totally get it. Right. You know, I understand why it is what it is. You can't really change your sub pricing. Maybe I could find somebody that charged 15% profit, you know, and that's where you could. Or like, and I was very, I was always very candid with my clients, right? So like, okay, we have to figure out how to cut your budget. Okay, so you can't cut a budget by $100 here, $200. That's not going to move it. So I would say, (laughs) here are your top three or top five big items, okay? So you would work with them on this. And this is how it can be adjusted, right? So maybe it's flooring. You've chosen flooring that's $4 a square foot. Maybe we need to look at $2 a square foot, right? And find something that, like, looks similar but, like, more fits within your budget. Or it could be that they decide to take something out or they decide to do something themselves. That's fine. Like, you just have to to decide. So now – because I refuse to do work with friends, which is another lesson you had to learn. But like whenever <laughs> I work with friends, I'm like, here's the things that I want you to think through and talk through. But you got to go into that knowing like what are your must haves because you're going to have to sacrifice something in the budget or in the project. And you don't want to leave it in the end and sacrifice what was your must haves. Yeah. So know that like upfront, understand how that like impacts the budget and then like make whatever adjustments necessary. Yeah, realize the fixed costs that are going to be involved Mm -hmm. and then look at some variables. Yes. You know, this certain marble or this granite is probably higher end than you can fit within your budget. Let's tone it back a little bit, you know. (laughs) Let's let's scale things back a little bit from the actual specs because the labor is not really going to change. You can't can't tell somebody, you bill $125 an hour, how about $115? Yeah. Like, (laughs) They're not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> your, your labor rate's your labor rate. You got to find it within the products. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. No. My, my so my parents own a plumbing company mm-hmm. and a landscaping company, and my dad totally got out of residential and commercial, mm-hmm. and only deals with industrial. <laughs> well, I eventually got out of residential. <laughs> 
and I only focused on commercial. And part of it was because, okay, the part of me that's very structured, you can probably see that like in my personality and my demeanor, right? I like residential clients because I love like, I really love how like, particularly during the flood, but also just people who just like this house is like, you know, looks like it's from the 60s. Can we like turn this into something beautiful? I love that. But they often don't come with architect drawings or anything like that. So there's a lot of decisions that have not been made. So I don't know what color flooring I want. I don't know what I want the tile to be. And that draws out the process. And no one likes their contractor at the end. It doesn't matter how good your contractor is. Nobody likes your contractor at the end, right? So you got to make sure that you're like, minimizing that time like as much as possible when you're in commercial construction often you have architect drawings that you're working with and the specs are there and the colors are there and that was something that like I thrived in and so um I did residential construction so starting 2016 and I did it to about 2018 and then that's when I started to pursue commercial construction projects um actually bid on a couple of them with East Baton Rouge Parish school system Mm -hmm. um i remember like i had some painting projects i had some flooring projects and then there was um the krista mccullough center that had like caught on fire and had some classrooms to renovate and i bid on it and i remember the architect who i adore so much she says you have no idea what you're doing huh he's like look a lot of us can be assholes he's like but i'm not and i'm going to teach you teach you what it is that you need to know and i'm telling like this is always like the theme throughout my life. So he's like, this is what an AI contract looked like. This is what your change order should look like, et cetera. And I knew some of it from like um, working with my friend who, you know, me through, but a lot of his work was negotiated and not right. bid and not work that was bid, which is a whole nother discussion. We can talk about like in, um, what it means to get different types of work in the construction industry. Um, but I'm very appreciative of the fact that like he was willing to, willing to teach me. When well, you were also, willing to learn, right? So yes. you didn't come in with this hothead mentality of like, no, 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 no. I know what I'm doing. I know mm-hmm. everything that is construction and management and all this and that. You were of eager mind. Right. And you're like, I want to learn. I want to know about this. And it's a whole lot easier for some subs to be like, okay, not a problem. I'll help you out. I'll work you through this. Yes. And it's whenever they know that their knowledge is going to be received well, they're yes. much more willing to give it. Absolutely. In Absolutely. whatever field it is. Yes. So you said we're going to talk a little bit about the different types of construction. Oh, well, I, well and, and that I was referring to like different types of construction projects. So yes. I, I, was, I was literally just having a, a conversation with my husband because we did something today and we didn't lose. He goes, wait, they just choose the lowest bidder regardless of like what the, <laughs> what the technical expertise is. And I'm like, have you not listened to anything that I've said? Like, that, that's how, ev- that, yes, yes, that's how it always works. So it isn't how it always works, but it is how a lot of it works, right? So um, so for my company, um, there are different ways that we can secure contracts, and this is common for many construction companies, right? So a lot, if you have anything that's public work, that's going to be bid, and it's going to be the lowest bid process. Right. Okay. Does that mean that someone necessarily has the skills? And it doesn't even mean they budget it correctly. They could have accidentally left something out of the budget. Now they've got to figure out like how to make it work, right? Yeah, like there's countless movies that have done that have reenacted situations like there's the government contracts. Yes. War Dogs being one of them, right? Mm-hmm. Where they got all the ammunition contract because they were the lowest bid. They've got the films about they uh, sit in the rocket ships and they go, hey, by the <coughs> way, we're sitting on thousands of gallons of jet fuel or of rocket fuel designed by somebody 
with the lowest bid, built with the cheapest material possible. Let that sink in before we blast <laughs> off into space. But I mean, that's what it's yes for for government contracts. It is what it is. Yes, and um, <clears throat> so that is one way that like we secure work now. Government and other institutions are moving to this process called CMAR construction management at risk. And it is often where an architect is selected and they may have started some of the design or none of the design. And then a contractor is brought in and the contractor and the architect work together to the architect is still designing, but the architect might say, look, and I'm using a current project that I'm working on. Look, we're thinking about using Nichiha siding on this school and we'll say, you could, but metal panels could achieve the same look and be much more cost effective. So we're like working through the budget along the way. So then by the time you get to the final design, we have a design that also matches or you're working towards the budget of what the owner wants. And that's okay. a much more collaborative process. Um, it has existed in the construction world for a while, but it is becoming more and more popular. So um, you said CMAR? Yep, yeah, CMAR stands for Construction Management at Risk. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, how does that work on the front end, though? Like, how do you get the job? So so the contractor, um, usually you have to, there usually there is a request for proposals where you then have to submit a proposal and talk about all your technical expertise. So here are examples of projects that I've okay. done that are similar to that. Here's what our team would look like. This is what our safety plan would look like. This is how we would like structure it. Sometimes they may choose just based solely off the proposal. The ones that I've been a part of, we've had to participate in interviews. Right. And then that's how they select so this the team. This is a lot more quality over quantity approach. Absolutely. Making sure that you're not, I mean, I guess after you have a couple bridges fail and you have a couple build, couple buildings collapse, you kind of have to get away from the lowest cost model. Correct. And you then have to start being concerned with, you know, safety and well-being. Of person, the, well, yeah, safety and well-being of the public. <laughs> right? You know, you would think it'd be on the top of mind, right? Yes. <laughs> so leaning on the expertise. Gotcha. Yes. So that's an interesting approach. Yes. Now there's also negotiated work, and that is where you might say, Narisha, I really liked um, interviewing with you. Um, I am building out a new office and um, I need a contractor. Can we like, you might have a budget in mind. You might not have a budget in mind. This is what I'm thinking. And we work through until we get to a price that we both agree on. Okay. And so, well, I mean, I guess that's just working. But like you said, you're able to then look at the items going in and able to change out like the metal siding versus this other board. Right. So like I had um, someone, a doctor contact me the other day who wants to, I guess, she, I think she works for a hospital system and wants to have like her own practice. Right. Mm -hmm. So she's already bought a property. Um, she had an architect come in. We went, we walked the site or whatever, got her to talk to me like what her budget is. Immediately it was like, here's some things that's not going to work with that budget based on based on my experience of things right. I've done. But now that I know the budget that you're working in, architect's going to design. We're going to. There's no bid process. She didn't reach out to other contract. She didn't. Um, she didn't request quotes from other contractors. She's certainly like welcome to. Um, I think with her time crunch, it's going to make it a little difficult for her to do that. Um, but she also like called me because she came because I came recommended, you know, from a number of people. Right. And so what what you want is negotiated work um what you want is for an architect to call you and say hey i have a project you we are going to bid it but there's only three or four companies that we're going to reach out to bid as opposed to a public bid process where you might have like 10 15 companies that are bidding okay so the the negotiated 
contracting process is a lot more tight knit. It's a lot closer. Yes. Okay. And so, and the the thing is, you've got to get on the architects list. Ah, so you gotta you gotta talk up some architects. Talk them up, but you know, from my experience with the architects, you've got to also prove yourself. So, right. You know, for me, so <clears throat> why I do uh, public bid work is because. When I bid, I didn't get to choose who the architect is. So often it introduces me to an architect who then gets to work with me, see my experience, and is like, I like what you did. And now when we have projects that don't have to go for public bid, you'll be someone in consideration because we like the work that you did. Gotcha. Okay. That is, that's interesting. And so now, because I was going through your website and everything, and you've done a, a variety of projects. You've also, you've done Government Taco, actually. Yes. Negotiated. So that's in a good, Okay. So, of course, Flynn would go negotiate a contract. Well, and so so, so it's funny. So I know Flynn because mm-hmm. we're on Currency Bank, which I know we'll talk about like in a moment. But actually, right. Jay and I went to school together. You are just so connected to all these folks. Me, so this Jay, is, Nick, okay. all the telegating all together. Them, we were oh all, yeah, we were all at LSU together. Okay. That's, that's just another proof in the pudding reality that Baton Rouge is such a closely knit community. It is. And that's the little big town. You know everybody. It's incredible. It's great, and it sucks all at the same time. Because <laughs> so because I'm connected to Baton Rouge because I like went to LSU, but I'm not from Baton Rouge, right? Right. And if we're being really candid, right? Like so it's so and people that I know that's really great, but you know I can't beat somebody who like went to Catholic High and their brothers went to Catholic High and their cousins went to Catholic, like. Yeah, they know everybody. At yes. That point. Right, <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. I mean. I, I get it as as a homeschooler. I get it. It's like I was I was born and raised in Baton Rouge, but it's like I was not connected in that regard, you right. know. So okay, and going through the decision to leave residential and go strictly to commercial, and I want to get into the weeds of that because I know typically why people do that. But what was the biggest factor in making that switch? The straightforwardness of commercial, and when I was doing the residential, I had hit a point where I was starting to get, and this goes down really awful, um, flood clients who, like, maybe they're now at the two-year mark and their home had not been renovated, and that was a different type of client. Yeah. Um, and, like, for me, it's a red flag. There are some people who deal with this. It's a red flag that you're at the two-year mark. Like, is it stuff that you couldn't get in order? Had you had previous contractors and you have like ran them off. Are you difficult to work with? And I was learning as many people like not all money is good money. Right. And so you had to decide like what worked for you. Um, and then I was also learning that um, there are fantastic residential contractors, but there is definitely a difference between a residential and a commercial contractor. Um, and there's, um, in some ways, commercial construction is much more professional. I hate to say that because because I don't I don't mean that to say residential is not because it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and by, yeah. By, by no means are you. You know, but but I understand it. Yes, when you work with residential, I mean, when you work with commercial, it's a business to business transaction. Yes, it is. You know, I'm sure yes. whenever you met with Jay and you met with Flynn or whoever on the team that you met for Government Taco, it was very professional in the sense of okay, we're building a restaurant. We need X, Y, and Z done. We're not going to live, sleep, and breathe the restaurant. We'll be here a lot, but we're not going to like take a shower and sleep at this restaurant. Hopefully, fingers crossed. And punch list it every day. And punch right. And punch list. You know, we're gonna. You're gonna tell us a time, and 
<clears throat> you're going to say, hey, we're going to have it done by March 30th. Right. Whatever the date was. And they're going to say, okay, great. You know, mm-hmm. perfect. We're going to train our staff mm-hmm. and we're going to work on everything else mm-hmm. because we're going to trust you as a professional right. to get it done by March 30th. And we're going to work on recipes. We're going to work on the branding. We're going to work on right. everything else because this is a business. This is not one component. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I'm renovating my kitchen, mm-hmm. I'm counting the days, if not the hours down right. till you are out with your visqueen and I have a new kitchen. Well, and and on top of that, like when working with Jay Cody and his team, right, like my approach, and this is my approach with my, with my residential clients as well, but you can understand that it's like right. my approach is like we are partners. Like I'm a partner on your team. I'm working on this collaboratively because of experiences that residential clients have had. There's that mistrust that goes into it. So it's so when I'm like, we're a partner, they're like, whatever, you just want my money. Yeah, like, you, you're, you're trying to overcharge me and overbill me. Right, you know? and, and my clients like, my clients never really responded to me in that way, but it's just not the same type of partner like experience that you have. Right. And when you think about like how I'm involved in community and how I like to do things, like I'm a partner person. That That's, I want to be on your team and we're working on this. I like, I want to understand what your vision is. I want to understand what your long-term goals is because I'm the contractor who will say to you, yeah, this new building that you're building, I get that you're really excited. Don't invest all your money in it. Because you're going to you're going to build it, you're going to work in it, and you're going to be like, man, I wish I would have done these things differently. And you save that money for your for the next part of you know for whatever's the next building that you move into, right. whatever set of upgrades. But don't don't put it all in there. And that that means less money for me. But like I'm I'm in this because I want people to to like meet whatever visions they have like for their own organization. Right. And I just want to be a part of the team that like helped you get there. Yeah, you know for. For, for a restaurant example, continuing, it's like you want them to build their first location here, and then you're like, get under your feet, yes. get everything straight, then let's talk about two, three, four, and five. Correct. Let, let, let's get there. Whereas if you come and do my kitchen at my house, you're not going to come back a month later and be like, when we do in your living room, when we do in your <laughs> den, right. you know, when we do in your bathroom. Like, it's there's only so much that you can squeeze Right. Out of a client and it's squeeze is probably not the better the best term, but it's like you're limited within a business frame of mind mm-hmm. for that one client. Correct. And so you have to hop to and from and you will have some clients that will call on you mm-hmm. two, three months after the project's done. Hey, this isn't working like it's supposed to. You know the thing And you they installed? certainly can, that one year warranty. You you know you know the dishwasher you installed. Well the flaps are brushed at the top. Mind you, no, my five-year-old was not sitting on the door <laughs> to do that. It just, it broke. Jumping on it to reach yeah, your cookie. Right, it just broke, okay? <laughs> it's, we've all, we all, we all know those people, okay? You know, like, we've all been there. Where you've seen it, especially in the construction world, when you do house after house after house after house, you just, it gets to a point where they all want everything so perfect and they want everything to be so important. It becomes easier to work in commercial because it's a business transaction mm-hmm. you know it's not well their company may be their baby right it's not so much their baby where they're sitting there with a tape measure and they're like this stove is a half an inch off and I, you just slide everything that way i had a client inch. who every time she called me i would go over to her house like she had the <laughs> tape, tape tape measure out. and the and the, and the the blue tape i love a blue tape <laughs> Because, but and this is why because when I like when I would come through because one I hate a punch list, so I would blue tape everything and my subs knew like that I would find it so they like 
I remember when I did another client's home, we like finished the, like the punch list wasn't that long and we finished it like in one day because they knew they had worked with me long enough to know like Narisha's going to tape up everything and she's going to see everything. And, and the comment that I'm going to make is going to sound, it's, it's not, it's not sexist, but I can understand like the truth to it because a woman's eye could see some of the things that like the men could not see. Right. hundred percent. I have, I have a rental property here in mid city and I went and painted the wall and we had a female tenant move in and she sent me a picture of the wall in an afternoon sun. (laughs) And she was like, it looks patchy. I was like, I'll have a professional out there tomorrow. (laughs) Because I saw it and I was like, we, we, it was during the morning or whatever the light was like, it looks good. It's fine. And she's like, no, the texture's just not right. I was like, okay. I'll, I'll get I'll get somebody better than me yes. out there tomorrow. Don't you worry. So yeah, I'm like I want because I want to deliver to my clients. Yeah, like I, I I want great quality. Th- there's a certain level and there's a certain standard of quality. Yes. And whenever you are a residential residential constructor or you're in commercial, whatever it is, if you are meeting a certain price threshold, yes, because there there is a price threshold when it comes down to the texture matching and spackling of sheetrock. Yes. If you're doing a ten thousand dollar Reno mm-hmm. versus a hundred thousand dollar Reno, the texture and the matching is going to be different, right? Because it's all within a threshold of pricing. But when you get to a certain pricing threshold, the blue tape saying mm, this is too splotchy, this is not right, it becomes relevant. Well, and here's the other thing: once I started focusing on commercial construction, while it was a benefit to my residential clients, I had to be careful. Because commercial prices would be a little bit higher than the residential prices, so you could you I would do your house, but you would get commercial contractors doing your house, but it would be costing you a little bit more. Right. Also, in the same way, I never did flip homes, and the reason why is because and I, I tell this to friends, they're like, oh, they're like, Narisha, you do construction, like I'm thinking about flipping a home. You don't want my people then, because you. If you are flipping a home, then you're looking to like get a return on value. So you're trying to invest the minimum amount. And that's just a different type of contractor that is doing that than someone who is doing commercial grade work. A hundred percent. It is completely different when you are looking at something and saying, okay, this toilet is not working. Let's change out the guts versus changing out the toilet. Right. It's totally two different frame of minds. Yeah. And as a homeowner, you have to know which one you're in. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to be there for a long time, mm-hmm. you're going to be in the one that's going to say, no, let's change out. Let's upgrade the toilet. Right. Let's, let's make that investment for us to enjoy. Mm-hmm. And some people just want it to work. Mm-hmm. And they're going to go the cheapest route because they're going to say, we're going to be in this house for three or five years. Mm-hmm. And we don't care. And I will tell people when, so when they say things like, I'm only going to be here for three to five years. And they're like, and we're going to get this $4,000 clawfoot tub. I'm like, no, you're not. It does not make sense to you're not like you're not going to get that money back. And I get that this will look like it. No, we're not doing that. Yeah. And that's uh, I have the conversation with my wife time and time again. Whenever we're trying to do stuff, I want to do it right the first time. And she's like, OK, but are we doing this from a long term or a short term point of view? Because mm-hmm. if it's a short term point of view, let's just put lipstick on it and move on. Right. Let's not give it a whole facial. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, OK, but. And she's like, no, no, no. What's what's the end goal here? Let's right. think with the end in mind. Let's not think with just doing, okay, this toilet is purely functional. If you want a nicer one, we'll get a nicer one, but don't expect to get your money back on it. Right. It's a sunk cost at that point. Right. 
you're not going to spend X, X amount of dollars on a home and expect to get one plus X, right. you know, like it's, it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. So from a residential perspective, it's all about your end goal. Yes. Short term versus long term. Commercial is we need it functional. We need it usable. And we don't want it to fall apart. Yeah. You know? And, and who are the clientele in it, right? Yeah. Because it, it could be short term or long term. But if it's got children in it, then we've got to talk about safety. And we need durability. Yes. We need it to last. Right. Even if it, even if long term is one school year. Right? How many marble stones are they going to drop on this floor? <laughs> you know, how, how, what are they going to drop? What are they going to paint on the walls? We need good paint. We need good material. Like, it's 100%. It's what's your what's your cycle? Yes. You know? It, can we get through a, one school year and then fix it if we need to in the summer? Right. And then what's the repair cost? Mm-hmm. You know, is it going to cost us an arm and a leg to just maintain this thing because we put cheap material, we had a cheap input. Well, so, okay, remember going back to the CMAR process where, I'm, yeah. where we talk about stuff? So, like, one of the conversations we're having is, okay, we're doing metal panels, but do we want metal panels on the bottom of the building? And do we want um, artificial turf or do we want grass? Because if you have grass and someone cuts the grass and a rock hits the metal, then we're talking about, like, what the repair of the metal looks like. Like, these are all the conversations that are taking place. That's why I like the CMAR process. Yeah. You're able to work through it and not just talk about like what are the what is this and and we may say like hey yeah we're fine with that gets damaged okay now do you have the staff capacity to do the maintenance that comes from this okay so artificial turf like has less maintenance okay then we're it may cost it may cost more on the front end um, but it may be less in long term in terms of like maintenance yeah you don't have to have a full maintenance crew cutting the grass every week you don't have to have them spraying weed and feed here and there it's right. just it's a lot you easier have- to operate with a front-end investment that's larger. Yeah. 100%. So we we do want to get to talking about, as we're quickly going through this, um, we do want to talk about all the boards that you're on. Okay. You're on, you're, you're on quite a few. And, you know, I want to start it off with, you made 40 under 40 in, what, 2014? Yes. Okay. Talk us through that experience. I, I see why. Obvious. <laughs> I clearly see why you made the list. But this this whole conversation leading up to it makes complete sense. But talk to me about that experience. I mean, it was really great. I mean, I don't. I don't. The thing is, it's like you get selected, and you're right. like, and so first of all, you're honored that you're selected. Yeah. So so we we have an audience that's also outside of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Okay. So what is forty under forty? Oh, forty under forty. Okay. So Baton Rouge Business Report, who I read every day. Um, y'all didn't ask me to do a plug, but you know. Maybe you'll feature me in exchange. Yeah, Julio, um, <laughs> you were on here. Remember this. <laughs> um, so the Baton Rouge Business Report, they have actually a number of awards that they put out uh, during the year. Um, one of them is 40 Under 40. Um, they also, um, because I was one, um, Influential Women in Business. So I've, I've gotten both. But they, someone nominates you, you're selected. And it's the most fun event because it's so celebratory. So then you go, you meet other individuals who are under 40 or whatever, who've gotten the award as well. They talk a lot about what you do, but it's just a very fun celebratory night. Like get dressed up, women in the sequins. I want to look fantastic. Meet all these other people who are like moving and shaking or doing something different, like in Baton Rouge. Um, And then it's just fun to like nominate other people afterwards, you know? Um, because I think that, um, it is nice to be recognized for the work that you're doing. It's not something that I have to have, but you know, it's nice when, when someone recognizes that. Yeah. It's, it's good to see that what you're Mm -hmm. doing is impacting someone to the point to nominate you. Yes. And at that point I hadn't even started my construction business. That was while I was at LSU. 
fundraising. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so, so that, so I was very much like, I very much believe in seasons. So I was very much like in a transition season, like in my life. So I was like leaving LSU, thinking about starting um, the company. I was participating in leadership Baton Rouge, which was blowing my mind about like all the things that could happen in Baton Rouge. It was like top 40 under 40. So like, you're learning about all these different people who are doing other things in Baton Rouge. Like it was just, it was, it was very much, um, it was the ending of one season and the beginning of another. Yeah. And it was a very, I'm sure, exciting point in your yes. life. Yes. Yes. So you're also on a, a number of boards. Like, I don't think I can hold them in both my hands. So like, l- let's just go through, what board are you on? <laughs> okay. So First of all, I feel like I feel like people say this to me all the time. They're like, you're on so many boards. Okay. I feel the need to like provide some caveats. Okay. Okay. Provides. Okay. Like, co- color, color in the piece, the pieces here. So one, I have been on a number of boards, but when I am asked to be on a board, I take it very seriously. Of course. So one, I immediately ask, what is the time commitment of it? And I ask them for the dates up front. If I cannot do all the dates based on my calendar moment, I can't be on your board. Because I'm a very serious, like, committed board member, okay? Next is, like, what is the role that it is that you're wanting me to play? Because I had previous fundraising experience, a lot of people want me to do fundraising. I'm actually not interested in doing fundraising on a board. It is absolutely a board member's responsibility. And if you serve on the board, you need to be giving money because you're going to be asking other people to, like, give money. But I don't want to be, like, on the fundraising committee. Like, I will lend my input, like, as necessary, but that's not really, like, what my um, desire is. The other thing is, is it's flattering to be asked to be on a board, but that doesn't mean that you need to say yes to it. You have to figure out like what it is that you're interested in and what it is that you're trying to accomplish whatever in the community. So there are some themes that run like with my boards. So for example, I'm on the Louisiana Workforce Commission. Um, And it was, um, it's not a board that would have, that would have ever have been like on my radar and someone like nominated me for it. Um, if we go back to the point that I was a first generation college student uh, or college graduate, and then I like worked for these charter schools, I was very much on the everybody needs to get a college education. Then I like get into the construction space and I understand the challenges that exist um, as it relates to labor. I also not all of my siblings like went to college and I can certainly understand and respect that like college is not for everybody. And we also need to have people um, in trades. And we need to make sure that we're recruiting and providing a space like for that to happen. Um, so that is one um, that I serve on. Um, I'm on the Louisiana Economic Development Corporation. Um, that board um, awards, there's several pots of money um, that exist out there for small businesses. Some of it's in venture capital, some of it's in growth funding, um, some of it is in loan collateral programs, et cetera. Um, I said yes to that because it's about small businesses. Um, then when I really realized what it's did, I realized that because I was on the board, I could never apply for those funds. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the other thing. You gotta have a conflict of interest yeah, situation. I'm like, Ooh, didn't think that one through, <laughs> but I love it because I enjoy learning. Right. And so I'm learning a lot on there. And, um, it is really important to me that when I join a board that like, I want to leave it better than when I came. So, there are things that I'm advocating for on small businesses. And when I ask questions and I ask a lot, right, I try to give scenarios of friends that I know 
or scenarios for myself of small business. I'm like, have you taken this into consideration? So for example, I remember there was a microloan program that they were talking about and they're like, yes, giving a business, um, you know, 25, I think it was $25,000 or $50,000. I don't remember what it was. I know I argued till we got to $100,000 and argue is a strong word. It wasn't negative or contentious or anything like that, but I wanted to give examples of why $25,000 was not sufficient, right? If I'm a small business that um, I've been running out of my home and I'm trying to get a bakery and I need a loan, $25,000 is not going to do anything for me like in terms of construction. And it's going to sometimes be difficult to get a construction loan when you're a small business and you don't have the cash flow or all the financials and everything that you're having to demonstrate, you know, to be able to do that. Right. So I wanted to increase what that micro loan look like. I know when people think of micro loans, they think of like twenty five hundred blah, blah, blah. And there's certainly a space for that, but I wanted to inc- I wanted to make sure that we offered a substantial amount that people could do things with. I used an engineering company as an example, right? So engineers and architects, they'll have to do all the work, often like con- often like contractors or whatever, and they get paid like on the back end, right? Of like when the work is complete. But that doesn't right. mean that they don't have their employees to pay right now. $25,000 might get you through what? Two payrolls? Maybe if you're lucky, right? And so I'm like, we've got to increase that amount. And that's payroll. That's not all the other operational expenses or whatever software and stuff they had. So I just wanted to make sure there was a substantial amount there. Um, I am on the board of Our Lady of the Lake Foundation. Love this board. So there are two interests there. So there are lots of passions that I have. Education is one. Healthcare is another. Eventually, long term, I hope that my business is one that specializes in education and healthcare. Um, so I have worked for healthcare institutions. In fact, I worked for Women's as an intern when I was in graduate school. Um, but I'm really like, I'm really passionate about healthcare and particularly about women's health. Um, but I serve on that foundation board and learning a lot about how the hospital system works. I do happen to be on their fundraising committee. Perfect time to say that if you haven't bought a raffle ticket, um, uh, uh, to support the hospital and children's hospital work we're doing for the Lexus, there are five of them. You should do so. Um, but I enjoy the work on that because like, I'm really passionate about healthcare. I also, this isn't a passion. It's just something that I love. I love zoos. I love zoos. I love aquariums. Every time I, every time I go on a road trip, whether it was with a friend or like we just did a family trip and we went to the Dallas zoo, like we are going to a zoo. I went to St. Louis zoo. I've been to DC zoo. I've been to San Diego. Like love the St. Louis, St. Louis zoo. Nothing compares to the St. Louis zoo. Dallas I'm, felt like a little bit of a disappointment next to the St. Louis Zoo, and it was I, still a great zoo. I, we, we didn't realize how great the St. Louis Zoo was. We went. I took my wife because my wife likes ex- gifts of experience yes. rather than gifts of items. Yes. So we went to St. Louis yes. for her birthday one year before we even had kids, and she was like, we're going to the zoo. I was like, sounds good. And I, we got there, and I was like, oh, my gosh. You spent the whole day there, you? spent the you? whole day at the, the zoo. Whole the whole day. day was at the zoo. And we didn't even like, finish the zoo. I was like, no. I was like, there's so much here. It was mm-hmm. incredible. Yes. Absolutely incredible. Love a good zoo. I'm the chair of the board. <laughs> the Baton Rouge Zoo. <laughs> and the zoo's currently under renovation. There's a yeah. lot of work to be done. I don't know if you remember um, a few years ago, there was a lot of debate about whether where to move, um, whether to keep the zoo at its current location or to move it to a new location. It was ultimately decided to keep it at its current location. Lots of construction that's taking place. The pygmy exhibit has actually um, uh, become open to the public. 
um, the giraffe exhibit. They're anticipating for the end of this year, beginning of next year, you'll be able to feed the giraffes. There's just a lot of work. The renovations will take place for a while because people need to remember you're constructing in place as opposed to like new construction. Right. But there's such grand plans for that. And that's what the taxpayers dollars are. Um, being used. There's some philanthropic dollars that need to take place, which is why we're on the foundation, which is why we fundraise to support some additional stuff that's not related to um, the construction. But I do the zoo because I love zoos. And because I want the Baton Rouge Zoo to be a destination for people. I think there's a lot of things that Baton Rouge has to offer. And I, I love LSU football, right? But there's more to offer than LSU football. Southern has fantastic sports program. There's more to offer than just athletics. We have a great park system and I just want people, I want people to have different reasons to come to Baton Rouge right. and the zoo can be a part of that and particularly for a family experience. 100%. Um, I serve on the board of Currency Bank. Okay, no one says banks are a passion, so. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was about to say, um, I, so I, why, why are you on the board of a community bank? Why I'm on the board of Community Bank? Well, first of all, because I was asked <laughs> and I was flattered. Um, there is an interest that I have as a business owner to understand how banks work. Yeah. And I want to share that knowledge um, with people. Um, and I'm, I'm going to give you an example. And this is like lots of people have heard me talk, have heard me like stand on the stove box, right? So like I remember when I started my construction company and I realized, like, I need a line of credit because now I have five homes, right? Then right, like, five, which is one right? over the normal. So I, I like, I like, I mean, I'm talking about, like, I literally think about the people who I worked with at LSU, the people who are in my leadership Baton Rouge class. I contact the people that are at the different banks. I realize I get pushed down all the way to the bottom of the totem pole. But I'm like, look, here's my application. Here's me with, like, my, my 800 <laughs> credit score. And they're like, we're only going to give you $15,000, and that's it. And I could, and I, like, I couldn't get like my line of crap, my line of um, credit to move. And they're like, okay, well, we could move it if you like do a home equity line of credit. Well, at the time, I'm like a single woman. And I'm like, I'm going to give up the only asset that I have. And then people would say, uh, well, don't you believe in yourself? Yes, I absolutely believe in myself. That doesn't mean that a client won't like come after skip, you. Yeah. Well, no, we'll skip on payment. Right. Yeah. And that has happened before. I've had two clients skip on payment um, that they don't like skip on payment and then I'm left to figure it out and I don't want to lose my home because somebody else decided to like skip on a payment. And so it's very frustrating that people spend their lives being told, make sure you have good credit, make sure you have good credit, make sure you have good credit. You go to the bank with good credit and you can't get funded. And I remember, and, and you can talk to many business owners who will talk to you about these challenges, right? I remember one week and I'm not a big drinker because I'm a lightweight, right? I remember one day I just like home, I was like, and I'm drinking a whole bottle of like red wine because I think like in a two week period, I've been rejected by seven banks and I could not figure out why. Right. I'm like, I have, I have the credit score. Yeah. You've like, gotten everything you've told you were supposed to go with. Yes. I've done my business plan. Here are my projections. Like what is going on um, now? Lots of lessons, right? Like I was doing withdrawals and I needed to be W2 so that like people could read my taxes and see that I was like getting an income. Like there's all sorts of things like that, that like needed to change, but they don't tell you that they just tell you no. And they're like, well, the underwriter said no. Okay. Well, what, why, well, was no, why the underwriter say no? Right. So part of this, part of what I enjoy about this is about figuring out like how banks work so that I can share that. Um, I believe in community banks, like supporting the community. And that's particularly what I love about currency bank. Like 
when we have our board meetings, which are largely about like making sure that we like meet whatever the demands like regulators have, et cetera, whatever. It is also like, how can we best like support businesses and what are the challenges that we have, right? What are the challenges that business owners have, right? So we don't want to apply for funding and, and wait for two to three months to figure out if we're going to get funding, right? I love that Currency Bank can turn around their stuff like in less than two weeks. Um, I don't want to go to a bank and feel like I'm talking to a teller all the time, which if you don't have, if you're a small business owner and you don't have a relationship with the banker, develop one, right? You absolutely have a relationship with the banker when you work in there. Like I walk in and they're like, hi, Miss Narisha. And I'm like, you said my name, right? And it just, it makes you feel great. And like, you're 100%. not just like an application that is in a pal, right? Look, Can, they. I, I bank at currency. So mm -hmm. now I, I'm going to let you continue. But I, so I bank at currency and. I walk in with a check that's not signed, no deposit slip, and I say, hey, I need to put this in my account. I mean, like, it's addressed to the appropriate account. Right. And everything. Everything's right. legit about the check. <laughs> like, let's clear that up. Right. But I walk in, I go, here, and they go, Patrick, not a problem. We got it for you. Right. Here's your slip. All while I'm talking with Scott, I'm talking with Charles, whatever. And, All right, here's your slip. You're done. It's <laughs> the ease of they know who you are. They know your account. And even the new person that they hired, the new teller. Yeah. Hey, I'm new here. I'm still learning everybody. What account does this go in? Right. You know, because the thing is, is, as a business owner, there's so many conversations you have all the time today where people don't know who you are and you're just a number that yeah. when it comes to something that as important as your financials, like it is nice to have a relationship and somebody know your name and get the challenges that business have is like, let's work through it. And community banks tend to have much more flexibility than some of the larger banks have. Right. Because they're not servicing you and trying to sell you on a credit card a, right. a car loan they're not they're not selling you on anything correct you know I've, I've got a client that i work with in my cpa life that i sent him to currency and he was like my biggest thing is cash flow because he sends out his receivables and they take 30 to 60 days because he's working with bigger clients He's got to pay his contractors. Yep. So he's like, I need to pay them quicker. So now they're able to work out deals, whether it's factoring their accounts receivable, their payables, they're able to work out a deal to get a line of credit. And he's able to constantly up it because he's like, I'm, my business is growing, it's expanding, where a bank is just like, mm, you want to put your house up? Right. You know, it's, it's, it's not, it's so rigid when you get, to a situation where you're working with a large bank mm -hmm. and I understand why yeah. I, I get the parameters in which large banks have to operate. I completely understand. But when you're a small business, mm -hmm. it makes sense to do your financial banking with a small local community bank. Mm -hmm. And here in Baton Rouge, we're blessed with currency. Yes. And the thing is, is like, cause it's a small business everything is an uphill battle, yeah. right? So you're like, okay, I'm trying to like fight through insurance rates. I'm trying to like get the best like line of credit. I'm trying to have a credit card that works for my company. I'm trying to figure out how to compete against other people like in the labor market. I'm trying to figure out how to establish a relationship with vendors who don't have like decades long relationships like with other people. Like so that I, like everything is an uphill battle. To have a bank and a banker that you can trust, like it just like. It's a game changer. Yes. Yes. It immediately gives you a sense of relief. Yes. Knowing that if something is to happen, you can call mm -hmm. on them and they can help you out. And you're going to call and talk to the same person. Yes. You're not going to call a 1-800 line and be bounced around from department to department to department and get the response of, it's not, you know, don't shoot the messenger. 
I'm not the decision maker, you know, you're going to have the same banker. And if there's an issue, they're going to say, hang on one second. Let, let, me, let me call in the next person up and we're going to resolve this right here. Yes. We're not going to wait a month because mm-hmm. we understand your business can't wait a month possibly. Right. We're going to resolve it right here, right now that you're in the, that you're in the building or your mm-hmm. email, whatever it may be. They're going to handle it. So <clears throat> back to why I'm on this board. Part of it is that, one, I just, I, I, I like the organization. The other part is, how do I gain the knowledge to share with other small business, other small business owners about how banks think about, like, how they make their loan decisions, et cetera. Um, I am one who, like, I do not mind sharing my knowledge at all. I believe that there's room for everybody. Like, I don't, like, once I find knowledge, I don't hoard it, like, for myself. Like, how can I share this with others so that it's a benefit? Because then people just, like, some people start small businesses and they're like, and that's fine because they have access to resources that provided that. But for a lot of small businesses, that is not their case. That is not their situation. And they're, like, trying to do, like, all the things while, like, reading a book and listening to a podcast and taking the latest advice from a friend who just, like, did something that worked for the business that may or may not apply like to their business. Like it's just, it's a lot. And they're trying to make payroll on Friday. Yes. Yes. I get it. So, um, Oh my. Okay. So as we start to wrap up the show, because <laughs> <laughs> if not, we'll be here for hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we start to wrap up the show, we do have a set list of questions we like to ask everybody. Okay. Um, the first one being, what is something you did as a kid you wish you could still do today? Go to camp. And, reason, and look, and I didn't go to a ton You're of like camps. the third person that's given a camp response. Really? Yes. Well, so, and the thing is, it's like, it's not like I was never at one of the camps where we're like biking or fishing or whatever, right? Like right. I was like at student government camp, right? Or I was at Camp Rila. But I thought about it because I love conferences for work, right? But when you go to conferences now as an adult, which is essentially camp, you come back and you're like, man, all this work is left. <laughs> when you went to camp as a kid, like you went to camp. And then you came back and did like whatever you wanted, like yeah, with all without like any other obligations or like responsibilities. Yeah, conferences are all right. Here's how you can better yourself. Now go home and do it. Do it. Yeah, and all the other work that didn't get done while you were at the conference. Yeah, that's that's a whole different topic for a whole different conversation. <laughs> that's leaving and then getting back to the work that didn't leave. Mm-hmm. That's a different. That's a different situation. So you've been across our country, mm-hmm. coast to coast to coast, doing a bunch of different things and working in, in a variety of different industries. So surely you've probably learned some lessons. So mm-hmm. what are three lessons that you've gathered along your way? Three lessons that I've learned along the way. Why am I going blank? I, I feel like, because I feel like, you know what it is? Because I feel like a lot of the lessons are really just related to the, because I'm in such growth mode for my business, right? Yeah. <laughs> that a lot of my lessons are really just tied to like business right now. Of course. <clears throat> okay. Don't do business with friends. <laughs> a whole nother conversation that we yeah. can have, right? That's a whole other podcast series. Yes. Yeah. It may, it may make sense when you first start, but there are, um, there are a lot of reasons why you just want to be thoughtful about engaging in relationships like with friends. It's, I think they have a saying, your friends are less likely to do business with you, but those that you do business with are easier to become, it's easier to do business, it's easier to become friends with someone you do business with oh, than it is to do business with someone you're already friends with. Yes, I could see that. I can very much see that. Um, second lesson, 
is not all money is good money. So you can get really excited about a contract, but you could have a very difficult client. It could be things that are not spelled out like the way that you thought they were going to. Like just not all contracts are good contracts. Not all money is good money. And so you need to be just very thoughtful about that. And then understand seasons, right? So as a small business owner, you will hire employees to work with you. And they may be phenomenal. It doesn't mean that they will be with you forever. It could be because it is a different season for their life. It could be that just where you've grown as a business, like they work for that season, but they're not going to work for the next season. And that's okay. Yeah. Businesses have seasons that may not be tied to a calendar. Yeah. 100%. So not being from Baton Rouge, we'll tailor the question just a little bit. Mm -hmm. What is something you love about Louisiana? Um, so hospitality, and I recognize that that sounds cliche, but I think it's because, I think why I say that is because that is my personality and my family's personality, right? So we have friends who know that during this time of the year, they can text and say, is the pool open? (laughs) And that means come on over. Yep. And my husband's going to throw ribs, burgers, whatever on the grill, maybe salmon, experiment with something new. Before my husband and I met, I loved having friends over. We would do a book club, drink some wine, discuss a book. Um, You know, for Thanksgiving and Christmas, like all of our families descend like on our house. And it's like, it's not just about family and friends. I just always want people to feel welcome, Um, which is why crazy enough, I just held my daughter's school fundraiser at our house like this past weekend. Like, <laughs> like I just, I like, they're like, well, we used to do it at home. So I'm like, okay, well then like come do it at our home. Yeah. Cause if it's going to, uh, that alarm says, that alarm says it's six 30 <laughs> and then it's ready. It's time to start getting my daughter ready for bed. Um, I, I just, I want people to feel welcome and I want people to have a good time. And I feel like that is also Louisiana. Yeah. And that's, I'm right. I'm right there with you. It mm-hmm. is always figuring out a situation in which we can gather Mm -hmm. and celebrate. Yes. So for the final question, what can I do to help you? Um, what you can do to help me is share the word about NRK construction, right? So some of our work is negotiated, right? And so what that means is that somebody is out there looking for a contractor. So if, um, if you encounter or have opportunities to talk about contractors, um, we are, we are a small construction company, but what that means um, is that we don't have the overhead of the large construction companies as great as they are. Um, but we still are professional and have the experience and the individuals on our team who can get it done. And we'd love to be a partner in the work. And so give us a call, reach out to us on our website. We'll respond. It goes to my email. I'll see it at two o'clock. <laughs> in the morning. I was about to say, yeah. what's the easiest way to contact you? And yes. obviously it's the website. Yes. Okay. Well, we're going to link all that up in the show notes. We're going to make sure people have an ease of access point for you and your business. And thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm right there with you. Time to get home and get, uh, get, the, get the babies <laughs> ready for bed. So thank you again for coming in for your time. And I've learned a whole lot about thank you for inviting a whole me. bunch of stuff. This was fun. I'm good. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Good. I'm glad. And I thank everybody else for listening or watching the show, whatever platform you're consuming us on. I'm very appreciative of it. Uh, give us a follow. Give us a sub- subscribe on whatever platform you're consuming us. It helps us. It also helps the guest. If you are interested in learning more about NRK Construction, check out the show notes. Check out the description of the videos and everything. We're going to link them up. Give them a follow and like as well. And thank you all so very much for being 
consistent listeners and following the show. We've come a long way, and we're we're not slowing down. We're keeping it going. And thank you for the amazing folks that make that possible each and every week. Hear a little bit more about them right now. Welcome to the brand new Falaya mobile app. We took all the same tech that's helped hundreds of people sell their homes themselves and packed it into an easy to use app for your phone. When you download the Falaya mobile app on either the Apple or Android app store, you'll immediately be able to see the power of this game changing tool. From the seller's dashboard, you can navigate to all the information that you need. We intentionally separated everything into key groups, such as tasks to be completed, buyer leads for your listing, and contact information for everyone involved through closing. When you get an offer on your property, you can simply review and respond all within the app. No matter where you are in the world, you'll be able to monitor everything that's going on with your property from listed to sold. It's truly the power of Falaya in the palm of your hand. Download the app and see for yourself. Falaya, it's real estate reimagined. Thank you so very much to Building 5 for the, becoming the latest sponsor of the Patty G Show. We are going to be filming once a month at Building 5. We're going to post about it on our social so you can come and visit with us. Building 5 is an excellent food establishment if you're into sharing boards and really getting a creative menu. Misty and Brumby have done an excellent job of creating an environment that's warm, welcoming, inviting for every single occasion. Go on over to Building 5 in Baton Rouge, Louisiana and tell them that the Patty G Show sent you. Thank you to Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge for making this show possible. Nick Pentis is a past guest. We love having him on. Listening to him talk about the culture they have over at Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge is really an incredible thing to hear. How they treat not only their employees, but every customer that walks through the door. You are more than just a number to them. They're going to give you that white glove concierge service Every step of the way, they're going to make you feel like family and take what can be a stressful time in people's life, shopping for a car. They're going to make it so enjoyable and so pleasurable. You're going to want to go back there time and time again for every new vehicle. Thank you so very much for Mercedes-Benz of making this show possible. Imagine taxiing on a plane looking toward the end of the runway. It seems so far away. It's even hard to see it. And that's what the concept of retirement probably felt like when you were in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, way far in the distance, not visible or even a concern. But as you turn 50, something happens. Retirement suddenly seems like something real, something not too far away. In your 50s, you are rolling down the runway. Retirement is getting closer and closer, faster and faster, weeks and months zipping by. But are you even ready for a successful takeoff to retirement? Fear not, there's still runway left, but the time is now. Time to make progress and time to get a plan. The Runway Decade will help you get organized, get energized, and give you the direction you need to take off to your desired retirement. The Runway Decade, building a pre-retirement flight plan in your 50s. Thank you to our wonderful sponsor, Lake Men's Health Center with our Lady of the Lake Physicians Group. Guys, I know it's tough to get out and go to the doctor. I know it's challenging to find time in our busy days, but I promise you 
signing up to be a part of this group with Dr. Curtis Chastain and Dr. Tyler Boudreaux. You won't regret it for several reasons, but most of those being the fact of the time it saves, where you're able to get in on the same day, get that appointment done, and spend that time you need to talk with them about what your health goals and concerns are, as well as ensuring that the financial investments you have, you will be able to live out and see those come to fruition. So if you're an investing guy, you know all about and planning for the future and investing in the future. There's no other more important thing to invest in than your health. Make sure you go check them out. Our Lady of the Lake Physicians Group Men's Health Center and tell them Patty G sent you. McClavey's Limited, a proud sponsor of the Patty G Show, has been serving the Baton Rouge area proudly for 40-plus years. Gentlemen and ladies, if you're shopping for your man, there is no other place in the Baton Rouge area to get your clothing, whether it's game day needs, everyday needs, business attire, formal attire, whatever you want. Go over there, see Frank and Ashley. It's a father-daughter duo. They do incredible things in their store. They will outfit you from as simply a shirt that you need for one evening, or all the way to a full wardrobe overhaul. They're going to take care of you every step of the way, and be sure and let them know that Patty G Show sent you. Thank you so very much to Currency Bank, a proud sponsor of the Patty G Show. If you're looking for a business bank that fosters on three core values, relationships, service, and technology, Currency Bank is the place for you. They pride themselves on convenient, accessible, and secure online banking resources where you can manage your account balances, initiate transfers, enroll with e-statements, and more via their online portal. Between the relationships, the service, and the technology, they are going to be that partner with your business every step of the way, regardless of what you need. Currency Bank is the bank for business owners. Simple.